My name is Madeline. I'm a medical student and host of the Voices of Aging podcast out of the Aging Studies Interdisciplinary Group at the University of Minnesota. This week is Careers in Aging Week. For the occasion, we have a week's worth of episodes lined up from a variety of folks involved in aging work. Make sure to tune in every day this week to learn all you can about working in aging. Welcome to Voices of Aging, where you learn more about aging through experts. We are ASIC, the Aging Studies Interdisciplinary Group at the University of Minnesota. Every episode, we invite people working in a variety of different fields related to aging and hear their stories. Tune in, either you're considering a career in aging, or want to learn more about aging fields, or simply want to listen to a stimulating conversation, you will find something you like. Find Voices of Aging on the iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Madeline with the Voices of Aging podcast. Today, our guest is Adam Sumala. Adam is the Executive Director at the Minnesota Leadership Council on Aging. Hi, Adam. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. I would love it if we could start by having you introduce yourself to our audience. Um, Tell us about what the Minnesota Leadership Council on Aging is and what your role is within that. Sure. So I serve as Executive Director of the Minnesota Leadership Council on Aging. That is a collaboration of Uh, 34 different organizations. They are a a champion, a thought leader, planner, and educator, um, really looking at systems change, positive system change for older adults, their families, and caregivers. So what I get to work on every day is, uh, you know, our mission is creating communities and systems that support aging with dignity and a spirit of well-being in Minnesota. Uh, Our focus Uh, beyond sort of just maintaining a sustainable infrastructure as an organization, we're working at the crossroads of anti-ageism and anti-racism work. So our two strategic priorities are to advance an age-friendly Minnesota and to support diversity, equity, and inclusion in the field of aging. That's incredible. Thank you. Is this a council that you helped to form or was this a position that you came upon? Yeah, so uh, it was a position that I came upon. Um, uh, however, if you go back in time, actually, you know, my my undergrad, I wrote a thesis uh, that basically laid out a f- kind of a framework for what would become the a- the leadership council on aging. Um, so it's something that I sort of always wanted to exist in the world, even from from a long time ago. I should also mention. I also have a small consultancy to take on some interesting projects. So right now I'm also facilitating the University of Minnesota's Nursing Home Echo Project as part of a national effort to prevent and manage COVID-19. And I'm working with the Minnesota Gerontological Society to manage a great team of interns uh, to develop their social media platform. So I get to do a lot of different things across the field of aging too. Fantastic. I'm curious um, what, if there's a specific reason what inspired you to enter this overall field? Yeah, so my undergrad was actually going to be in architecture at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities. And I took an elective class called Topics in Nonprofit Leadership Management, 
with former Congressman Tim Penny, and it was back during the Ventura administration. And so every week he brought in a different commissioner. And at that time, the commissioner of health, health was Jan Malcolm, uh, oddly also our commissioner of health today. Uh, and she talked about the demographic shift underway and sort of the readiness as a state. And it was one of those crucible moments for me where I was driving home and I was like, I don't think I can work in design anymore. Um, so I changed my degree to political science. I started looking into health and human services policy. Uh, and I took a job at an organization called Leading Age Minnesota. So that was, I would give the blame or the credit to Jan Malcolm, our commissioner of health, uh, for sort of my introduction to the field of aging. Looking back at your education specifically, is there anything you wish you had done differently to prepare uh, for your current career? You know, I think there's there's always moments that we'd like to do over or reflections on sort of how how we handle certain conversations. But I tend to look forward more. Um, I feel like we all kind of do the best we can every day and every day we learn. Um, so I don't want to be too harsh on the judgments that I had prior. Uh, and hopefully I look back at my 40s and think, I, I know more tomorrow than I did today. Um, but one piece that I would I would highlight that I wish I had done differently or prepared differently is building connections, real trusted working relationships with communities of color. Because in my work, I just worked, I've worked pre- predominantly with white majority culture leaders uh, and it shows. And that just isn't good enough for where we need to head as a state. Um, so if I had a deeper understanding or more connections and experiences with those diverse communities, I think I'd be more effective right now in kind of bringing everyone to the table. What do you see as um, a major disparity for um, our aging communities consisting of people of color? Well, I mean, I think the health disparity, the data is, is very clear. Um, but I'd say the biggest piece that I'm focused on right now is getting folks to the table, making sure that we actually have leaders in place, that we have those voices at the table um, to represent those communities, to represent those voices. And, you know, when we look at even today's current sort of what happened with COVID-19 in the state of Minnesota, we continue to see older adults that have low income, older adults that are communities of color, um, you know, they're not getting access to the vaccine in the same way. Their, their devastating impacts of COVID are not proportional to majority culture. So um, I think until we actually intentionally work to close those equity gaps, we're going to continue to see those disparities. What is a piece of advice that you have for current graduate students who are interested in entering a career in aging? I'd say to recognize that there's a lot of paths in front of you. And as a society, we don't really help people very well pick. Uh, we tend to get pushed down a path based on our, our limited connections early in our careers or the expectations of people around us. But the biggest work that we have to do is actually self-reflective. So I'd encourage people to really sit with some big questions about you know who they are and where they want to make a difference. So Think about the activities that they love. You know, is it talking with people uh, like this? Is it writing, researching, teaching? Um, You know, do they work in teams well? Do they prefer working alone? Do they like digging into data or telling stories? You know, how do people want to spend their day uh, is something I think we really need to let them them explore. Uh, And then to think about the camp that resonates with them. 
So what do they want to do? You know, do they feel affinity for people evaluating or researching things? Do they like to shape the actual policies that build the systems? Do they like working with providers and building relationships, you know, really working on the ground hand in hand with older adults? Um, so figuring out where your home is across the field of aging, it takes reflection, um, you know, and balancing out sort of what are the deal breakers? You know, is there an income or a geography? Uh, you know, what brands out there in aging do people have a passion for or against? And then I would just say, don't be afraid to reach out. That My experience is that, is that the leaders in this field across this field are some of the most generous, kind, coaching people. And, you know, something we have going for us is really wonderful, smart leaders in our field. And they're genuinely interested in helping people find their place. So ask for a cup of coffee, do an informational interview. Um, they'll enjoy it. You'll enjoy it. And you never know where that goes. A couple of follow-up questions from that. Um, I know you mentioned it's important to consider what you want your day to look like. Um, that being said, what does a typical day look like for you? My day is different every single day. So uh, I might be writing a letter to the governor asking him to call out older adults in uh, the, his state of the state. I might be working with our policy committee or our age-friendly Minnesota committee uh, you know, taking notes and engaging people in discussion. Uh, I might be convening and helping staff our diverse elders coalition uh, to, you know, bring forward some of those voices that we don't often uh, hear enough of. Uh, it Every day is different in my world. Uh, and that's part of why I enjoy it, because I like that sort of flexibility. And I like that, uh, you know, looking at issues as a state. Um, no day is the same. Yeah, and that can definitely be really exciting and appealing for some people. Also, um, you touched on um, the fact that people who work in aging may tend to have certain personality traits or um, characteristics. Could you speak a little bit more about that, what you've noticed? Yeah, so I, I think there's an interesting confluence of people that get involved in aging. And in my career, I've had the opportunity to work with people that are both leaders and leaders specifically in the field of aging. So I think they tend to be compassionate. They tend to be in it for the right reasons. You know, they tend to love the the topical area of aging. And, you know, it's, it's not like you make a billion dollars in this field. You know, people that self-select into the, the world of aging do so based on a, a calling uh, based on a passion. And, and then to look at sort of that crosswalk of people that are leaders, you know, that are naturally inspiring or that have vision. Uh, that's a really great group of folks that I, I enjoy hanging out with. Um, but yeah, I'd say compassion is probably the underlying piece that I've experienced uh, in our field. What is something you would identify as being particularly rewarding about the work that you do? And on the flip side, what would you say is perhaps the most challenging? So the most rewarding piece, I'd say, is the relationships that I've built uh, and the inspiration that those folks give to me on a daily basis. I've had the benefit of working alongside just some really, truly exceptional leaders over the last two decades, and they have been such generous teachers. So hopefully, hopefully I can look back at, you know, my 21-year-old self and listening to Commissioner Malcolm and, uh, you know, say that I helped make a difference as well, that 
our experience of aging is better for it, um, for this career. But I'd say that, yeah, that's the biggest reward for me is just building really, really trusted relationships with some amazing people. Um, the biggest challenge, um, I think is the systems that, that we work in. Um, you know, it's, they set the tone for everything we do. So it's, you know, the patriarchy, sexism, racism, ageism, they're all alive and well and need to be addressed. So I also feel that there's sort of an acceptance that aging isn't a state priority. You know, year after year, budgets come out with chronic underfunding and new regulations get layered on. The legislature fails to develop champions and the state as a whole sort of fails to address the reality that we're all aging and that we need to make investments and changes. Um, there's this Einstein quote that I've been just stuck on that we can't solve our problems with the same thinking we use to create them. And I think we're doing that a lot of the time. Um, you know, now's the time for innovators and to, to elevate efforts to a different level. Uh, and we just keep doing the same things with the same people in the same ways. And I think we know what we're going to get silos of work that don't harness the collective power and the wisdom of our state. Uh, and unless we're careful, I think we could blow this window of time that we have to make a difference. So I guess I, I, I hope that folks will challenge the way we've done things to experiment, to invite dissenting opinions to the table, to really listen, uh, you know, there's such a great commonality and goal and vision for our state, but sometimes we get hung up on the 5% of stuff that we don't agree with, that the silos don't see together in the same way, and we don't move forward. Um, and I, we really have to figure that out and start moving forward together. I know personally, uh, when I think about the challenges that the system as a whole presents, it can be incredibly discouraging at times. And I'm wondering, do you experience that as well? And if so, how do you navigate that fine line of using it as motivation, but not being overwhelmed by it? Yeah, that's a hard, it's a hard line for me to cross. I tend to be pretty emotional. I tend to engage at a personal level and everything. So, um, when you see policymakers that that don't have an authentic, you know, care for this issue, um, that's hard to ignore. Uh, when you see systems that you know struggle to acknowledge uh, bias or you know some of those pieces, it's uh, it it gets really frustrating. But I think what keeps me coming back, or why. I don't lose hope is that if, if you take a larger lens, um, the conversations that are happening today are notably different than the conversations that were happening 10 years ago. You know, the, the focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion in policy circles, in infrastructure that organizations are building, in the investment of dollars and development that people are putting into those conversations, like it's happening, it's starting, and it's starting small and people are you know, making mistakes, but they're really going for it, you know, like, and, and I don't think that was true even five years ago. Um, so I guess I have, I have hope that some of those pieces are coming around and hopefully we can help be a catalyst to help them come around faster. Yeah. And it sounds like it's important to um, always keep in mind those slow progressions because they are happening and that's important to, I'm not a very patient person, so... <laughs> 
I, I sometimes get frustrated that the system doesn't move as fast as I would like it to, but, um, but yeah, it is moving forward. Mm-hmm. Definitely. On a more personal level, if you're comfortable, I would love to hear about whether your work has changed your thinking or perception on the care for older adults in your own life. Absolutely. I think when anyone that works in the field of aging and sort of tackles some of these topics conceptually or in policy or academically, anytime this becomes personal, anytime we have a loved one that is making a transition or, um, you know, looking for senior housing or something like that, we find ourselves almost flat-footed. Even though we know so much about the field, uh, we find that the experience of going through the process is uh, very, very difficult. And so, yeah, I see, you know, social isolation and loneliness playing out with family members. Uh, I see a denial and just this sort of fierce independence that, you know, uh, I won't need services, even though the statistics clearly tell us that that's not the case. Um, I see access issues for affordability playing out with um, my family and friends. So, yeah, I think any anyone that works in this field, um, it becomes personal at a different, you know, when you start to apply it personally, you see all the failings of the system uh, on such a different level. Yeah, and I'm assuming that's a reciprocal relationship then the experiences that your family members are experiencing that you're seeing do those serve to inform again what you're what you're inspired to work on in your job yes and probably for a couple of reasons one you know it's just that daily reminder of how how hard the system is to navigate and how confusing it is when we deny something that's like aging uh, or accessing services until a crisis moment. Um, You know, it it helps point out all the intervention points along the way that we need to do better as a, as a state. Uh, And then to apply that sort of equity lens, just to recognize that, you know, as, as a white male in our society, as a family of, you know, middle-class upbringing, uh, as challenging as things are in my family, they're even more challenging for communities of color or, you know, people that English isn't their first language. And um, if I struggle with a website or a process, um, I'm sure it's just that much more challenging for for others too. So uh, it's it's a it's a good daily reminder that that we've got to do better. I think we can agree that. Um, The aging population has a collective wisdom that we generally can learn from. So I'm curious um, if you have perhaps a nugget of wisdom to pass along that you've heard from an older person. Yeah, I'd say there's a consensus uh, around travel that I've picked up, uh, that it's a big world and many of us have the privilege to go and see some of it um, and that people will never be sorry for taking the trip. Uh, and so I think that wisdom of, you know, get out of the state and see some of the world, um, travel, experience different things, that perspective is always something I carry with me, uh, sort of the wisdom of older adults. 
I'd also say an overarching message around loving your people. Uh, at the end of the day, we need to change the nature of work and ensure that we're giving people the ability to really focus on their connectivity, their families. Um, so yeah, let's talk in another 20 years to see if I can tell you about whether or not I was able to accomplish that. <laughs> yeah, that's such a unique um, perspective, but I, I really like that. I think it's important to remember that the world is so big and so diverse and the more we of what we can see, the better people potentially we can become. And, you know, I'm also struck by that the Maya Angelou quote, do the best you can until you know better than when you know better, do better. I think there's permission in that to recognize that like, we don't have to deny that some of the things we've done haven't been great. Uh, and that as we continue to grow and learn, it doesn't matter if we're 20 or 40 or 80, uh, that we can do better uh, and that we have to. Absolutely. It's never too late to be making uh, positive changes. I think that wraps up our conversation here. Um, thank you so much, Adam, for taking the time to speak with me today. Yeah, my pleasure. Take care. All right. This podcast is brought to you by ASIC, the Aging Studies Interdisciplinary Group at the University of Minnesota. We are a collaborative networking group for students studying aging across the university. Stay tuned for the next episodes of Voices of Aging, where you learn more about aging through experts.